Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Nation in crisis. After two mass shootings, Democrats blame President Trump for a rising tide of hate. He didn't pull the trigger, but he's certainly been tweeting out the ammunition. The president says he wants to prevent gun violence. I think we can get something really good done. But will this time be any different? I'll speak with Democratic presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke next. Plus, massive raids, children separated from their parents as hundreds of undocumented immigrants are swept up by ICE. The president calls those raids a good deterrent. They may get in, but it doesn't matter because they're going out. Why were families targeted? I'll speak to Acting Customs and Border Protection Commissioner Mark Morgan in moments. And all in Iowa. 2020 Democrats take the soapbox at the Iowa State Fair. The story of this state is the story of America. Whose message is resonating with caucus goers? Presidential candidate Senator Cory Booker joins me next. Hello, I'm Jake Tapper in Washington, where the State of Our Union is appalled. We begin this morning with a retweet from the President of the United States, not a message about healing or uniting the country one week after two horrifying massacres, not about the victims of those tragedies. Instead, President Trump, using his massive Twitter platform, 63 million followers, to spread a deranged conspiracy theory, tying the death of pedophile Jeffrey Epstein in prison to the president's former political rivals, the Clintons. I'm not going to show you the tweet, but the spokesman for former President Bill Clinton responded to the president retweeting it, saying, quote, ridiculous and of course not true, and Donald Trump knows it. Has he triggered the 25th Amendment yet? President Trump could use his megaphone for anything, but the president often uses it to amplify that which is the worst of us, personal attacks, bigotry, and insane conspiracy theories. Officials say Epstein died by apparent suicide while in the custody of the federal government. The attorney general, William Barr, released a statement opening an investigation into how this happened, saying he was, quote, appalled and saying Mr. Epstein's death raises serious questions that must be answered, unquote. This is, of course, not the first time that President Trump has chosen to use his amplified voice to spread conspiracies. He lied about President Obama's birthplace. He suggested Ted Cruz's father might have been involved in the JFK assassination. He lied that he saw American Muslims in New Jersey on TV celebrating 9-11 when there is no such tape. President Trump has also given voice to the lie that the migrant and refugee crisis at the southern border of the U.S. is a plot by Jewish billionaire George Soros to fund a, quote, invasion. That's a conspiracy theory that was the motive for mass slaughter in Pittsburgh and El Paso. This is no longer just irresponsible and indecent. It's dangerous. Joining me now from his hometown of El Paso after having canceled his campaign events for the week to deal with the morning's citizens in his city, Democratic presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke. Congressman O'Rourke, we have a lot to get to. I I do want to get your reaction to the president retweeting this unhinged conspiracy theory 
without any evidence linking Epstein's death by apparent suicide to a murder by the Clintons. What was your reaction when you saw the tweets? This is uh, another example of our president using this position of public trust to attack his political enemies with unfounded conspiracy theories and also to try to force you and me and all of us to focus on his bizarre behavior instead of the fact that we just lost 22 people in this community, nine people in Dayton, Ohio. We're seeing an epidemic of gun violence every single day in this country. And the attack in El Paso, that terrorist attack in El Paso, was motivated in part by the president constantly warning of invasions and infestations and predators and Mexican immigrants who he described as rapists and criminals, though we know they, they, they commit crimes at a far lower rate than those who are born in this country. He's changing the conversation. And if we allow him to do that, then we will never be able to focus on the true problems of which he is a part and make sure that we get to the solutions. And whether that means legislation that keeps guns out of the hands of those who shouldn't have it or focusing on domestic terrorism of white supremacists that his own FBI director warned us about. And then you reported this week that his Department of Homeland Security has been begging the president to focus on the kinds of threats that we saw in El Paso, and he's ignored them or willfully suppressed action on those uh, ideas and those programs and those policies that could have saved lives in El Paso and across the country. Let's talk about some of those solutions. I do want to ask you about President Trump visiting El Paso, visiting the University Medical Center Hospital uh, this week, which I know you visited as well. Uh, The president praised the doctors there, uh, but in a video, a cell phone video that that has been made public, he also bragged about his last rally in El Paso in February, and and he attacked you. Take a listen. That was some crowd. Thank you. And we had twice the number outside. And then he had this crazy Beto. Beto had like 400 people (laughs) in a parking lot. They said his crowd was wonderful. The president also took a photo I want to show with a two-month-old baby. Uh, The parents of that child had died trying to save the baby. The president Trump in that picture with this now orphan child. Big smile, thumbs up. What did the people of El Paso tell you about the president's visit? Did he offer them any comfort? The people of El Paso told me that they didn't want to see the president and they didn't want him to come here. They understand that he's part of the problem. Uh, his constant warnings of invasions and infestations, his description of El Paso as one of the most dangerous cities in the United States. And he didn't say it once. He said it repeatedly, though we are one of, if not the safest cities in the United States of America, helped to cause somebody to drive more than 600 miles to kill people in this community. Not a single patient at University Medical Center or at Del Sol Hospital, the two hospitals caring for survivors of that attack, wanted to see the president. That says it all, if, if you ask me. Uh, but for him then to focus on um, comparing political rallies or on himself uh, or on how much people love him just shows you how sick this guy is and how unfit for this office. He should be consoling people, bringing people together, focusing on their pain and improving their lives. And instead, he's focused on himself. Let's talk about some of the solutions uh, that you were talking about earlier. You were asked in May whether you supported a plan for federal gun licensing. You said it might go too far. I'm wondering what you think now after the El Paso and Dayton massacres, if you feel the same way 
or if maybe your mind is opening about that, that's a, uh, a proposal that Senator Booker and some of your other rivals uh, are out there talking about. We should do it. We, sh- we should have a, a, a national licensing program in this country. You know, I also said at the time it's something that's worth discussing, looking at. I want to learn more. I have. I've listened to my fellow Americans, my fellow Texans, my fellow El Pasoans. This makes sense. It will save lives. And in conjunction with universal background checks, closing all loopholes, ending the sale of weapons of war into our communities like the one that was used in El Paso, and red flag laws that stop people who own a firearm before it's too late, before they hurt themselves or someone else, we can end this epidemic of gun violence that will claim more than 40,000 lives this year, happening every single day in almost every single community. So I think it's a proposal that makes sense and one that I would want to implement as president. Uh, uh, The response that you would get from a lot of Texans, I would think, even some Democratic Texans, would be, hey, the people who, you know, do these mass shootings, uh, criminals who commit crimes with guns, they don't care what the gun laws are. They're not going to abide by the gun laws. They're not going to get a license for a gun. They're just going to buy an illegal gun and, and commit the crime. What would be your response to that? Then why pass any law and, and why be a, a nation of laws? Um, you know, I think we, we pass those laws that we know will improve our lives, save lives, protect our fellow Americans. And then we have to vigorously enforce those laws. And as president, I would. It is the only way that we're going to save the lives of our fellow Americans that we are losing at a frightening pace right now, at a pace that no other country is seeing around the world. And we either accept that this is our lot and our future and our fate, and we are inherently violent or evil or bad, or that this is a human cause problem with a human solution. And we know that in those states that have adopted these licenses or have adopted universal background checks or have stopped the sales of weapons of war, that we are saving lives. So let's adopt these solutions nationally and make sure that without taking anyone's Second Amendment rights away, that we save the lives of our fellow Americans. You said to me uh, last week that you thought President Trump was a white nationalist. I just wonder, sir, President Trump won your home state of Texas by nine points. Almost 63 million Americans voted for him. Do you think it's racist to vote for President Trump in 2020? I think it's really hard after everything that we've seen Uh, from his time as a candidate in 2016 to his repeated warnings of invasions to his repeated calls to send them back, uh, sending back people who are U.S. citizens, sending back people who were born in this country, his description of white nationalists and Klansmen and neo-Nazis as very fine people, his warnings of Muslims as being somehow inherently defective or dangerous and attempting to ban them from entry into this country, his transgender troop ban, and his attack on anyone who does not look like or pray like or love like the majority of this country. Yes, Donald Trump is dangerous to the future of America and will destroy what makes us so unique and so special and the genius that we represent to ourselves and to the rest of the world. And so I appeal to my fellow Americans to choose a candidate who will bring this very divided and highly polarized country together who will work on the issues before us, whether it is health care or an economy that includes everyone or immigration or confronting climate before it is too late, 
and doing it in a way that speaks to the best of us, that is ambitious, that is not fearful of the future and does not try to divide us on our differences. That's exactly what Donald Trump is doing right now. Congressman uh, Beto O'Rourke, please continue to send our condolences to the people of El Paso. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Coming up next, President Trump says everything he's doing on immigration is paying off at the border. What are some other consequences? We're going to talk with the acting commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Protection next. Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. President Trump is defending the immigration raids in Mississippi this week in which at least, in which at least 680 people were detained. Uh, leaving some children crying out for their parents. The president says those raids were a very good deterrent to those considering crossing into the U.S. illegally. Joining me now, the acting commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Protection, uh, Mark Morgan. Uh, Thank you so much uh, for joining us. I I want you to take a listen to uh, one 11-year-old girl whose father was detained in these Mississippi raids. I need my dad for me. <laughs> My dad didn't do nothing. He's not a criminal. Governments, please put your heart. Let my parent be free with the, everybody else, please. Don't leave the child with cryness and everything. Now, you and the president said just a few weeks ago that the pending ICE raids coming down the pike were, were going to be focused on violent criminals. Um, that's not what happened here in Mississippi. Why not? Well, so first of all, I've never said that uh, the raids, as you call, were focused on violent criminals. I've never said that. <clears throat> and also, I, I think words matter. These aren't raids. These are targeted in, uh, law enforcement operations. And in this case, this was a joint criminal investigation with ICE and the Department of Justice targeting worksite enforcement, meaning companies that knowingly and willfully hire illegal aliens so that in most cases Mm -hmm. they can pay them reduced wages, exploit them further for their bottom line. That's what this investigation was about, a criminal investigation, Jake. All right. So I want to get to that in one second. But just to give your exact quote, you're right. You didn't say violent. You said, quote, their part has always been and it will be to go after those that are criminal aliens, meeting those people that are here illegally and have committed additional crimes against American citizens. So that was my response to a question about priorities. And the ICE's priorities will always be to go after criminal aliens as a priority. That doesn't mean they exclude all demographics. We still have to apply consequences, meaning enforce the rule of law for those individuals that are here illegally against immigration law. So it seems like undocumented workers, the the dad of that little girl and the like, often bear the brunt of these raids and not the employers who hire, hire them. Is it important to hold businesses responsible for this? Uh, Syracuse found, university researchers at Syracuse University found that from April 2018 to March 2019, the Trump administration prosecuted zero companies and only 11 individuals for employing undocumented immigrants. Obviously, hundreds of thousands of undocumented immigrants have been targeted. So think about what you're saying, Jake. So you're saying on one hand that that we're not doing enough. And then when we go out and we actually do what you're saying we need to do more of, they're chastised for doing that. Well, I'm saying why aren't you focusing more on the companies and the the business owners? They they are. Again, this was a joint criminal investigation between ICE and Department of Justice, which was targeting the companies that were hiring illegal aliens. Are there any charges against the companies or the business owners? It's a pending investigation right now. There's a criminal search warrant to go in there to collect more information, more intelligence, and that investigation is ongoing. But that's the intent of that investigation. Is it important for businesses 
to not employ these individuals who are in this country illegally and exploit them, as you suggested. A- absolutely. And, but it's twofold. So, so I think the American people need to understand that's exactly what's happening. So these individuals seeking a better life first are being exploited by the cartels to come here. Right. Once they come into the United States, then they're further exploited by United States companies by paying them reduced wages. But that's only the first element of this. These individuals here and the girl, I know it's emotional. I know it's done on purpose to show a, a picture like that. What's but, done on purpose? But, but to, to show the girl, Jake, listen. Just the people in the, in the wake of these raids, yeah, we interview people but, who are affected by them. But, but how, how about interview the people that, uh, because a majority of time in these cases, the, these individuals that are here illegally, mm-hmm. they also steal uh, identities of U.S. citizens. They get uh, fraudulent documents, social security cards, and etc. And so it's not just a victimless crime that's going on here. First of all, they are here illegally, and then a lot of times there's additional fraud that goes with this for them to try to get these jobs in these companies. So I understand that the girl's upset, and I get that. But her father committed a crime. And just so the American people know also, is that girl, her mother was home and she was reunited with her mother within a few hours that night. I want to ask you because, because, I mean, you're talking about how this is a pending investigation into these businesses. But we see the human cost of this borne by the undocumented immigrants and their families over and over and over again. And like I just gave you the statistic from Syracuse in the last year, zero companies prosecuted, only 11 individuals prosecuted. I mean, if you focused on the companies, wouldn't that have more of a deterring effect than going after these individuals who are desperate? So, so Jake, again, I, 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 this is the third time. That was the intent of the investigation. But I'm talking about in the last year, only zero companies and 11 individuals for the last year. I, I, I can't speak to the Department of Justice on how many cases they have. I, I'm the commissioner of CBP, so I'm not involved in those investigations. But what, it, what I can tell you is that's exactly what this investigation was about. And again, l- let's go back to words matter. These aren't undocumented immigrants. They are illegal immigrants. They are here in this country illegally. They're obtaining jobs illegally. So I mm-hmm. think words matter. And l- 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 let's keep in mind that ICE, in, in during this target enforcement operation, they took extraordinary efforts to make sure that, that when everyone that was apprehended, they actually had agents dedicated full-time during this operation, mm-hmm. that they did nothing but be prepared to reach out to schools, to reach out to daycare. And every single person that they apprehended, the first question that they asked was, do you have a child? Where are they? Are they at daycare or, or, or are they uh, at school? They, they had uh, phone banks there for everybody to call to reach out to the mm-hmm. loved ones and their children. Again, these agents contacted over 12 schools. And they, they made sure that they were uh, uh, had a full understanding of where everybody else. And that's why over 300 of the 600 plus that were arrested were reunited on humanitarian reasons because they had kids, they had children, they were released on their own recognizance. So the Washington Post reported this week that at least eight Trump organization properties have employed, whether you call them illegal immigrants or undocumented immigrants. And this is just one of many, many headlines about undocumented immigrants working for President Trump's properties, whether it's his construction crews working at his properties, working at his golf clubs. There have been zero raids on any of these companies, despite headline after headline after headline. It seems like you guys are turning a blind eye to this crime being committed by the president's own companies. So, uh, look, I, I've been in law enforcement for uh, over 25 years. So first of all, again, I'm the commissioner of CBP, so it's you, not my responsibility. I understand you were head of ICE, though, but, until recently. But, uh, for, th- that's correct. What I can tell you is, 
is that uh, in my 25 years, I, I take offense to say anybody's turning a blind eye to someone that is violating the law. I've been doing it for a long time. I've never known anybody in law enforcement to turn a blind eye to someone that's committing a crime. Well, I don't understand why it is that the president's companies, there's headline after headline after headline about them employing undocumented immigrants. And there's never been a raid. There's never been any sort of law enforcement investigation that we can discern. Well, so, so you, you really can't say that for sure, because there are investigations going on all the time that you're unaware of. And we shouldn't be aware of those investigations. So those investigations should be done uh, uh, without uh, notifying everyone, because, of course, it's going to jeopardize the investigation if I come on here and I talk to you about an investigation that's going on. The number of arrests along the U.S.-Mexico border fell 24 percent last month to its lowest mark since February. It's almost been cut in half since the high in May. That's a success. Um, yet you still call this a, quote, full-blown crisis this week. At what point is it no longer a full-blown crisis if you're having the number? So, so that's great, Jake. And I think that's a good question. We, we can't be focused on the number alone. Again, 43% reduction from May. That, that's absolutely a huge step. And that's because of this president and what this administration is doing, uh, especially with, with our international partners. The, the, the efforts now from the government of Mexico and the government of Guatemala is unprecedented. And that's mm-hmm. one of the major reasons why we're seeing these apprehension numbers go down. But make no mistake, our daily apprehension numbers are still we're between 23 to 20. 2,500. If you remember, the former secretary, Jay Johnson, said a bad day for him was a thousand. Yeah. And I know it because I worked for him then as chief of Border Patrol. So this is still crisis levels. And here's a key point. It's not just the numbers. It's mm. the demographics. Again, things have changed. These are family families, not company yeah. minors, right? <clears throat> 65% of which we're allowing them in the country. That adds to the crisis. It's not just the- I want to ask just a follow on that, um, because almost 30,000 undocumented immigrants have been sent back to Mexico to wait for their immigration hearings, part of this new deal you have with the Mexican government. But they are being sent to some very dangerous cities, Tijuana uh, and, and, and uh, for example, and the group Human Rights First said there are 110 public reports of rape, kidnapping and other violent crimes against asylum seekers waiting in Mexico. That's likely just the tip of the iceberg. Are you worried at all that this process uh, is resulting in sending people back over the border into Mexico, into dangerous cities, basically sending them to their doom? So I I disagree with that categorization that we're sending anybody to their doom. First of all, for any country, uh, the safety and security of the citizens of the country, for any country, is a challenge. Look at the cities in our own country. Uh, Jake, we have multiple cities in our country where the homicide rate per capita is outrageous. Violent crime is outrageous. Would it be fair to say that the entire United States is a dangerous country? I think not. And I think so we need to be cautious about overcharacterizing and overgeneralizing how dangerous Mexico is. I just meant the two, they, the two cities, Tijuana and the other one's escaping my, my memory. What are, what are the three cities that mean right. what they're going to? They're going to Tijuana. Uh, you know, I, I don't know the major okay. cities that they're going but, to but right now because we're expanding. But I'm only talking about these, these cities that are very dangerous, but we're out of time. Right. I appreciate your time, uh, Mr. M- Commissioner Morgan. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, sir. In the wake of the El- attack in El Paso, several Democratic presidential candidates are directly calling President Trump a white supremacist. But another candidate, Senator Cory Booker, says that's not the real question at all. And he'll join us to talk about hate in America and what we do next. Next. Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. Our calendar is getting crowded with the wrong kinds of anniversaries, those of horrific attacks on Americans in public places. Tomorrow, for example, marks two years since the deadly white supremacist rally in Charlottesville. 
My next guest gave a speech this week at another site marred by an awful attack, Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, where a white terrorist murdered nine worshipers in 2015. Joining me now from the campaign trail in Dubuque, Iowa, to talk about rising hate and more, 2020 presidential candidate Senator Cory Booker from New Jersey. Senator, uh, thanks for joining us from the campaign trail. I want to get your reaction to the president retweeting this deranged conspiracy theory, obviously no evidence, falsely linking Jeffrey Epstein's death by apparent suicide to an alleged murder by the president's political opponents. What's your reaction? You know, this is just more recklessness. What he's doing is dangerous. Uh, He's giving life to not just conspiracy theories, but really whipping people up. Uh, into anger and worse uh, against uh, different people in this country. And so this is a tired way that the president does. He's been using the Clintons as uh, a means uh, for a lot of his false accusations. But remember, this is a nation now where we've seen uh, just horrific acts, whether it's someone walking into a pizza shop based upon these kind of conspiracy theories uh, to take violent action. We see people's lives being threatened because this president whips up uh, hatred. Um, This is a a very dangerous president that we have right now, uh, trying to divide us against each other and really using the same tactics and the same language, not just of white supremacists, uh, uh, but also using the same tactics and languages of the Russians. If you look at the intelligence reports about how they're coming at our democracy. President Trump said on Friday that in the wake of the El Paso and Dayton massacres, he's pushing Congress to enact what he calls, quote, meaningful background checks. Uh, The president said he's going to be able to get the NRA on board as well. Uh, Do you believe that? And do you believe that he's going to push forward for background checks? I believe very little that this president says uh, where he tweets from pulling troops out of uh, Afghanistan to that he solved the nuclear uh, crisis in North Korea. Uh, he tweets a lot of things. He says, uh, makes a lot of uh, bold statements uh, that don't just come through. He doesn't follow through. He doesn't do the things that keep our nation safe and strong. So absolutely not. A real president in this time of crisis where America is grieving, where fear is penetrating our nation. I hear from kids on the campaign trail standing up and just talking about what ultimately for our nation right now is a surrender, it's a saying that we can't protect our children. So when they go to school, we're going to teach you how to duck and cover and hide uh, and shelter in place. This is an abject surrender of leadership on this president's part. He has taken no responsibility for this penetrating fear that's uh, in, our, in our society. And uh, frankly, he's not leading in this moment. So I don't believe what he tweets. I've seen no real action. I've seen nothing coming out of Mitch McConnell. Here we are on a summer recess when this nation is uh, deeply hurting and uh, deeply worried about their safety. I've talked to teachers at the Iowa Fair yesterday who said, we start up school in a matter of uh, days and we're gonna go back to classrooms where that's gonna be hanging over the classrooms. This is the time for decisive action, for Congress to go back, for this president to lay out a real substantive plan, but he's Mm -hmm. doing none of that. He's failing this nation and in so many ways responsible for where we are right now. It does seem that there might be uh, some momentum for a so-called red flag law uh, to pass the Senate uh, that would allow an individual's family or potentially law enforcement to to temporarily block an individual from having firearms if he he or she seems to be a a danger to himself or others. But Senate Democratic Leader Schumer said passing 
a red flag law without the background check bill that the House of Representatives passed would be a, quote, cop-out. He said, quote, Democrats in the Senate will seek to require that any red flag bill that comes to the floor is accompanied by a vote on the House passed universal background check legislation. So, Senator, I guess my question is, would you support a red flag law as a standalone bill? I mean, isn't something better than nothing? Well, again, I have a comprehensive plan, perhaps the far, most far-reaching amongst Democratic candidates, and yeah, so-called red flag laws are a part of that, and I think we should do that as a nation. Um, but it's not going to be enough uh, to end the epidemic of mass shootings, and it's not going to be enough to uh, uh, really restore a sense of, uh, bring a sense of calm and security back to our nation. Uh, so I, I will do whatever I can to leverage more change, to leverage the steps that we need that will dramatically, that the evidence has shown, will dramatically lower the levels of shootings. So again, this is going to be a chess match and and, uh, tactical sausage making in the Senate, but I'm going to say very clearly, we need far more bolder action to make our nation safe. Red flag laws, yes, they're important, but they're nowhere near enough uh, to stop these uh, rising levels of mass shootings. Now having more sunrises and sunsets in our nation, than we, than less sunrises and sunsets than we've had mass shootings. Uh, we have to do more. American public should demand more. And frankly, things like background checks are overwhelmingly supported by gun owners. The fact that we're not doing that is a failure of leadership. Former Vice President Biden uh, appeared to stumble at an event earlier this week, a campaign event. He said that, uh, quote, poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. And then he seemed to correct himself, saying wealthy kids, black kids, Asian kids. The campaign said he misspoke. Uh, But one of your rivals, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, on Twitter said, quote, to quickly dismiss Joe Biden's words as a mere slip of the tongue is as concerning as what he said. We need to have a real conversation about the racism and sexism behind, quote, electability. Uh, What do you make of this all? Um, I, I pay very little mind to it. I mean, uh, Joe Biden will have to mans- answer to his, uh, his words himself. I will say this, that um, this idea of electability doesn't usually center on the broader ideals of that. I'm going to Milwaukee to do a rally. I know we're going to have hundreds and hundreds of people there. If you can't energize uh, the urban base as well as the suburban base, as well as rural area, we need candidates that can create the kind of excitement that we saw the last time we really saw it was President Obama. Uh, we would have won a lot of our, uh, uh, we would have won this presidential election. And, and again, I don't put this on Secretary Clinton, who ran, in, in many ways, uh, a, a campaign that was dealing with the headwinds of the Russians and uh, the, the, the Trump campaign using psychographics, doing everything they could to suppress African-American votes. Uh, we need to learn from that in this race. We need to have candidates that can inspire a movement-like election, uh, not somebody that we think is a safe bet, uh, but a candidate that can really energize the aspirational nature of our party, uh, talking about a future that, in, that engages people and inspires them to come to the polls. That's why I'm running. I believe we can have a candidate uh, that can reach out to the full breadth, not just of our party, but our nation. And that's why I've been going to cities like Philadelphia and uh, cities like Milwaukee to show uh, that we can energize a tremendous excitement amongst core base voters that we need to win. Senator Booker, before you go, uh, we all wanted to offer you uh, condolences on the loss of your Aunt Alma. She was 100 years old. Uh, She lived in Iowa, one of your biggest supporters. You went to her uh, memorial, her funeral yesterday. We just wanted to offer our condolences to you and your family. I'm I'm really grateful for that. She lived an extraordinary life. 
born before women had the right to vote, born, born during a summer of some of the greatest uh, domestic terrorism we've, we've seen. And from all of that, she and my grandmother in this incredible state of Iowa were able to raise extraordinary families that have gone on uh, and done some great things. This is our common history. And in Iowa, a lot of people don't know about how a, a town called Buxton, which is where my family first moved, was this town ahead of its time, blacks and whites coming together, descending into the mines to scrape out their American dream. We have some incredible history of Americans across racial lines, uh, creating a, a much better America. And that's what we celebrated when I gave her eulogy. And that's what I believe uh, we need to be uh, celebrating now in our country with uh, so many leaders trying to divide us against each other. We need to get back to that spirit in our nation that understands we have common cause and common purpose. And that's how she lived. And I hope that her legacy will go on, not just in her family, but uh, will inspire that in the rest of us. Well, may her memory be a blessing. Senator Booker, thanks so much. Thank you very much. A Democratic candidate breaks down on the campaign trail, worried about his children in the era of mass shootings. President Trump says he thinks he can convince the NRA to change its stance on background checks. Is there any reason to believe that's possible? That's next. I have a six and three year old boy, as I'm imagining. I was imagining it was one of them that got shot and the other side. <laughs> I'm so sorry. The presidential candidate Andrew Yang breaking down while responding to a mother who lost one of her children to gun violence. The other child, a twin, was a witness to it. Will anything actually get done in Washington to stop this cycle of carnage? Let's discuss. Uh, uh, Congresswoman, let me start with you. Is a compromise that moves the ball forward in Congress possible at all? Well, I think that if they're actually focused on people and they're focused on kids at school and they're and they're less focused on the political divide, I think it is possible. I think the thing that stops members of Congress from doing the right thing is the political parties pulling them from one side to the other. Now, I have three kids and I can understand the emotion, I, when you really put yourself in the place of people who have been affected by this, it affects you um, because you think about your own children. Yeah. I have three kids, and it's something that I fear all the time. But just doing something is not enough, really. Um, my daughter actually did this article, and she said, I wish Congress would focus on the violent, th the violent thoughts before I become a victim of the violent act. Hmm. I could not believe how insightful that was. She talks about kids sitting at school by themselves, totally isolated, some of them even in cars in the parking lot. Um, there are some issues that we have to face. It's, you're talking about not just um, gun violence and making sure that you are just you're doing everything you can to keep guns out of the hands of people who lack the ability to make a rational decision, but also making sure you stop the violent act, which also includes making sure that everyone um, that is on TV, that is out there, that is influential, watches their language also. It's a holistic approach. What would you hope for, uh, Mr. Mayor? Uh, well, first of all, for us to understand the depth and the breadth of the pain that was displayed by, by Andrew a minute ago. 630,000 American citizens have been killed on the streets of America 
involving gun violence since 1980. And that pain is felt in every neighborhood. And it is it is searing. We have a couple of different crises, all that are now converging. It's a national security crisis involving domestic terrorism. It's a public health crisis and it's a public safety crisis. The approach has to be comprehensive. You can still support the Second Amendment and have reasonable gun control, gun responsibility legislation. But that in and of itself, although those things are important, as the Congress lady said, are not enough. You have to get into mental health. You have to get into substance abuse. You have to get into reconciliation. You have to get into this notion that we're going to solve all of our problems through a violent act using a gun. So I'm hopeful that Congress will get past the politics of it, do common sense, responsible gun legislation, and then get really deep into this culture of violence that we've developed in the United States of America. Adolfo, um, one of the things that enjoys the most popular support uh, is universal background checks, the idea that that all sales of guns uh, should there should be a background check. Uh, President Trump has voiced support for it before after the Parkland shootings a year ago and then ultimately didn't follow through. He now says that he thinks he can get the NRA to at least be neutral on it. Do you, do you think that that actually could happen? Well, first of all, I agree with everything on the panel. One of the, one of the two times we have a panel would be seems to, to be in agreement with things. But just to the politics of it, first of all, the president has now signaled that uh, it's something that he wants to do, and it's a priority. So I think that will move along a lot of Republicans. Of course, Senator McConnell just announced that he's going to take this up, and he's absolutely working for a bipartisan solution. Uh, I think, though, that one of the things we need to do, and I so agree with what uh, Congresswoman uh, Love said, is not just pass legislation. As an example, for the sake of passing legislation, I think it gives people really a false sense of security because uh, that's just uh, addressing uh, the symptoms and not the root cause. As an example, California, they had this red law, state in California, red flag, red, red flag uh, uh, statute. And I understand for two years it was never it was never even used or employed. So we have a lot on the books right now, even on background checks, that the laws have been passed and aren't enforced. At the end of the day, I am going to say something here that probably is not very popular. Is I'm not holding my breath that there will be an agreement. Mm-hmm. And, and for this reason, we're, we just saw this, uh, this debate in Iowa the, over the weekend or just the last few days. Uh, it, the, the climate right now is just too politicized. I think it's always difficult, and it, re- it really is already an election year, to get things done in Washington. So I think the Democrats, pr- frankly, I don't want to make it partisan here, the Democrats mm-hmm. are in a position since they're trying to unseat the president to push the envelope to a point that Republicans will not be able to expect accept uh, uh, over overreaching on this issue. Sochi. The House passed a background checks bill 160 days ago. And where has Donald Trump been? A flawed one. A flawed one. That that is of the floor. Background checks is a floor. 90 percent of Americans support background checks. How many people have to die Depends. before Donald Trump acts? And frankly, Donald Trump can call the Senate in tomorrow and say, come back, get legislation done. But the problem is, is that Mitch McConnell right now, his problem is that he wants people to forget. He wants recess to go on. He wants September to come in. And then he wants another topic to be out there. So I don't think that the Republicans are taking it seriously. And it's very unfortunate. This is a prime example of what we what is going wrong. First of all, it's not up to the executive branch to, to pass call legislation. Or to call Congress. You back. have got to get uh, Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, right. Kevin McCarthy, and Chuck Schumer together to pass legislation. And it is ju- it's the job of the executive branch to execute that legislation and also to prosecute criminals. Yeah. So we have to remember we're putting too much um, responsibility and too much power in the White House where it actually should be done Legislation in Congress. Legislation did pass, yes. but- 
This is this is why people don't like Washington. <laughs> we have a massive crisis. It's a national crisis. It's a national emergency. People are being killed every day, 40 people a day. And then you have these mass shootings, which are now we know mm-hmm. are domestic terrorism. And can if I just say one thing solve, to, to your point of mental health? I think like two thirds of the deaths are suicides. Yes, yeah. two thirds of the gun deaths oh, are suicides, which is kind have, of an ignored part of this, but it's a part of the it, mental it health. Falls into, it falls into three buckets. Most are suicides. Then you have regular um, street crime where individuals are getting killed, usually with the mechanism of a handgun. And then you have these mass shootings. All three of them. And, and they gang stem, violence. And, and, and gang violence and, and gang, drugs. Well, well, of course, it's, a, right. it's all of those right. things. And if you and, and people are being killed and people are being hurt, if you were going to take an approach to this like it was a national emergency, you would bring all of the resources, not only of the government, but the yeah. private yeah. sector, yeah. the faith based community to bear to solving the problem of violence in America. Now, I, I believe that reasonable gun laws are going to be helpful. And I think most Americans think that not everybody needs any kind of gun anytime to do anything that you want. But that's just a small part. But it, I would say an important part of the problem. We, we, the, the president's team has now diverted money from the FBI, the ATF, and the U.S. Marshal's office and given it to the Customs and Border Patrol and ICE. Their budgets are now bigger. Mm-hmm. So you showed a picture of that young girl whose father had been taken away from her, and you questioned um, Mr. Morgan about whether or not the president wants to keep America safe. Well, they certainly didn't do it with domestic terrorism when everybody was saying this is a major problem. And so the mayors of America warned the president years ago that this maniacal focus on quote unquote people who he calls criminals who just cross the border are more important than focusing on violent criminals that have killed us. And it is a it is a misdirection of our resources to keep us safe. And let's let's turn to that in the in the couple minutes we have, because after a series of immigration raids in Mississippi, both sides presented very starkly different pictures uh, of what's going on uh, and their necessity. Let's let's roll that. This is a, a clip from uh, question four. This serves as a very good deterrent. If people come into our country illegally, they're going out. After what just happened in El Paso, when it was motivated by by hate against immigrants and Latino immigrants, do you think that that a responsible leader would have said, don't do those raids? Sochi, your response? I agree with Kamala Harris. I think we're all parents on this panel. I don't think anybody agrees that families should be separated. That video of the little girl who had been separated by, from her parents, that is just heartbreaking. I am a Mexican-American from Texas, and I will tell you that I have never been scared in my life until this president. My 95-year-old grandmother, in the middle of the night, she is here legally. She's here legally. She's been here legally for 60 years. She went in the middle of the night and looked for her papers because she thought that Donald Trump was going to send her to Mexico. Adolfo, we only have like 15 seconds. Oh, yours. Qu- quickly, the little girl wasn't separated from her mother, so she wasn't separated from her parents. Secondly, they, they, I, I talked to high-ranking ICE officials. They had 120 Spanish-speaking agents there. They're enforcing the laws. When American citizens are arrested mm-hmm. at home, they're separated from their parents if there's kids are at school. You, get, you want to give illegal yeah. uh, immigrants privileges that U.S. citizens do not Thanks enjoy. Thanks, one and all, for being here. We're not going to solve the problem here. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Coming up next, we're going to try to have a lighter note. And today's politics every day is starting to feel like Festivus with the airing of grievances. And that's this week's State of the Cartoonian. Stay with us. Lighter note now, candidate Marianne Williamson quoted the iconic sitcom Seinfeld on the debate stage a few days ago, and that's this week's State of the Cartoonian. 
Comedy legend Julia Louis-Dreyfus found her worlds colliding when Democratic presidential candidate Marion Williamson at the CNN debate quoted Seinfeld. Yada, yada, yada. The former Elaine Bennis from Seinfeld immediately thought of her other famous comedy show, Veep. I guess she's going to pick me as her running mate. <laughs> it made us wonder what other iconic lines from Seinfeld might describe today's politics. For example, President Trump's negotiating approach to everything. Nothing for you! Or perhaps a potential future response next time someone calls the president's hands small. I was in the pool! After a cutting insult from Senator Elizabeth Warren at the debate, candidate John Delaney later came up with a comeback, which reminded us of... Well, the jerk store called... They're running out of you. But Warren might want to tell any candidate polling lower than 1%. Get out! Of course, President Trump already knows the healing power of Seinfeld's invented holiday Festivus, given his daily airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. But the ultimate pearl of Seinfeld wisdom for this era? It's not a lie, if you believe it. Fareed Zakaria GPS starts next. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.